The Bible reading for our sermon today is from Acts chapter 9, where we read about a lady named, uh, she has a Hebrew name, Tabitha, a Greek name, Dorcas, same lady, two different names. Let's see what the Bible says, Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. I want to introduce you to a guy named Dan Hurley. Dan Hurley is a sidewalk performer, but he didn't make a name and a fame for himself as a juggler or as a sax player or as a mime or a magician. Dan Hurley is a performance writer. What that means is that he's, he's like one of those guys that stands on the sidewalk like jugglers and mimes, except you walk up to Dan Hurley, and he introduces himself to you, he talks to you a little bit, and then he will write your story on, on a single page in less than 60 seconds. That's why they call him the 60-second novelist. Google him, you'll find him on the internet. The 60-second novelist. Uh, I don't know, it seems like kind of a short amount of time to write an entire story, doesn't it? But a good story doesn't need to take long. I mean, we just read about Dorcas. In 94 words in the Bible, in a reading that takes less than a minute, we learned everything about Dorcas that we need to know. The Bible said she's a, she's a disciple, right? The disciple is a a follower who's learning something from a leader, from another person. And so when the Bible uses that word, it means a, a follower of Jesus. She wasn't alive when Jesus was alive, but she followed Jesus' person. She knew of him from the Bible, from the teachings of the apostles, and, and she believed in Jesus, and she wanted to live like Jesus. And that's what the Bible says. Dorcas was always doing good and helping the poor. And because of her, many believed. When the Bible uses words like always doing good, it doesn't mean that Dorcas never sinned, right? It, it's speaking characteristically of her. When, when other people would think of Dorcas, they would think, wow, that lady is always doing good stuff, right? She was always doing good. And what was she doing that was good? She was doing good works and charity, specifically sewing clothes for other people. She would turn out tunics. She would make comfortable clothing. And it seems like 
the poor and the needy and the widows were her special audience. So she would sew clothes that the needy would appreciate and that her friends would admire because Dorcas, because Dorcas made this. And then she got sick and died. And all of her friends and everyone in the community and her family and those who had received her gifts, they were weeping and they were wondering, who can replace Dorcas? How can we get along without Dorcas? Who can do the works that Dorcas can do? So they cried out, Peter, come and help. Can you do something? She's, she's dead Peter, can, can you help? And Peter comes, he prays. She is raised from the dead. She lives again. And everyone's happy. And they don't have to worry about replacing Dorcas. As if they could have replaced Dorcas anyway. Would you agree with me if I were to say that Dorcas was irreplaceable? I mean, sure, other ladies can sew. Sure, other ladies can do good works and take care of the poor and reach out to widows, but none of them can do the works that Dorcas does the way that Dorcas does them. If she had not come back to life and had remained dead, would the church have survived? Sure. Would widows have made it? Yes. Would the needy have been served? Yes. But all of that, just a little less, and not in a way that Dorcas could do it. Are you replaceable? Could someone else stand in for you and, and this world would continue to spin and, and it would survive and your family would be served and at your job, the job would be taken care of? Well, no. You are not replaceable in that way because each of us is a specially designed creation of God, uniquely gifted as, as unique persons, right? Nobody else has the thumbprint that I have, and so you cannot unlock my iPhone. Nobody else looks in the mirror and sees you every day the way that you see you every day. Nobody else can... Serve like you, or lead like you, or sing like you, or play the harp like you, or help people like you, because you're you. And God created each of us as, just like he created Dorcas individually. So if Dan Hurley were to write a 60-second novel, novel about each of us, every single one of the novels would be different. Here's how the Bible says that. The body, it's talking about the, the church, all believers, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14. The body is not made up of one part, but of many. God created the elbow and the knee, the shoulder and the peck. And they're all different. They all combine to help the body, but they all do different things. God created each of us individually and uniquely. So don't say that Dorcas's departure in death wouldn't have made a difference. Sure it would have. 
Just like if you don't if you don't serve the way that you can serve your family, your family will not be served in the way that you can do it. If you don't do your job at work the way that you can do your job, it means that, that those people around you are not going to be served the way that you can serve them. If you don't serve your spouse the way that God has gifted you to serve your spouse, that means that they're not going to be served the way that you can do it. If if you don't play a sport, if you don't play an instrument, if you don't make people laugh, if you don't crunch numbers the way that you can do it, it's going to make a difference. I want you to listen to this story. I'm going to give you an example of a 60-second novel that Dan Hurley wrote. Okay? It's about a guy named Abe, and uh, Hurley ends up titling the novel Honest Abe. So I'm going to read it to you, and, and I want you to answer this question as I read it, okay? What is Abe's unique gift? What makes him so special, and how does he use it? How does Abe use his special gift? All right, here it is. I'm going to read this. Here's the novel. Honest Abe. Abe is honest. He's a man of his word. As a CPA, he better be honest. People depend on him. He was honest, too, when he promised to Marjorie 58 years ago that he would always love her and stand by her. They have been married that long, and they now have two children and three grandchildren. But he was never more honest than the day six years ago when his oldest daughter's husband, Fred, was in the hospital, and Abe went to see him. You need a haircut, said Fred, joking. But Abe replied in utter seriousness, I won't get a haircut until you walk out of here. Fred never did walk out of there. He was carried out. He died. And so Abe felt that he owed it to Fred to keep his word. That's why he has never cut his hair. Why he has a long white ponytail, this conservative CPA. It is his white badge of honesty, devotion, and love. End of 60-second novel. What's Abe's unique gift and how did he use it? Honesty, a man of his word, loyalty, right? No matter what the circumstances, Abe has a gift to be loyal, and he's, he's loyal even, at, even if Fred died. He's still loyal to him. The Bible has another one in Ephesians chapter 2. These, uh, there's verses in there that are, that are probably more famous than this one. And it starts out, By grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Right? And then it goes on in verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. And my good works are not always your good works. We can label them in a general category of loving others, but I can't do some of the things that only you can do, and you can't do some of the things that only I can do. Each of us is designed uniquely and brilliantly by God. And so, God designed you to be you, not someone else. 
All right, audience participation here. I'm going to test how well you've been listening. So I'm going to say, God designed you to be, and then all you have to say is your own name. Here we go. God designed you to be. That's good. See, so if you learn to say that every day, you'll be on the right track of understanding how God works in your life. Uh, when, when your life is over, okay, God is not going to ask you why you weren't Dr. Ben Lerner, why you weren't Oprah Winfrey, why you weren't Jennifer Hatmaker, why you weren't Mary Kay, why you weren't Moses, why you weren't Esther, why you weren't Dorcas, why you weren't Billy Graham, why you weren't your older brother or sister, why you weren't your mom or your dad. He's simply going to ask you, were you, you? Were you who I made you to be? Were you the best version of you, which is God's version of you? And I'll, I'll, give you, I'll, I'll tell you how to make sure that you, you live the rest of your life understanding that question and answering it. I think we all need to stop pretending. Stop pretending to be someone other than who God made us to be. You think it was a challenge for Dorcas to be pretending? I mean, became famous because of her sewing, but she became beloved because of her kindness. And she became quite popular. The people in the town knew her, and they came to her, and, oh, do you need a piece of clothing? You need to have designed by Dorcas, right? Do you think she was tempted to start a company and make millions? Do you think that, that because of the popularity, it started going to her head, and, and she, it was tempting for her to help only people who maybe were more popular in town and not, not the underprivileged ones? She, she had to have been tempted to pretend to be someone that didn't make her to be. And it just makes me wonder if, if dying changed all that and coming back to life. Here's a quote from a book about identity and purpose that I really like, and I think it capsulizes it. Listen to this. Each one of us has a me that we think we should be, which is at odds with the me that God made us to be. Sometimes letting go of that false self may be a relief. Sometimes it will feel like death. On the other side of death is freedom, and no one is more free than a dead man. Jesus had much to say about death to self, and on the journey to the me you want to be, you will have some dying to do. 
But that kind of death is always death to a lesser self, a false self, so that a better and nobler self can come to life. See, Dorcas died and came back to life. The Bible doesn't specifically answer what was different when she came back to life, but, but when you've been dead and you're given a second chance, you're not the same person anymore. And she was a good person to start with. I can imagine her being even nobler after she became alive. Listen, here's the story in Acts chapter 9. She became alive, and it says that they called for all the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. The Bible doesn't use that language before when it tells us about her good works and her acts of charity. Though they were good, we might say they weren't great. Though people were impressed with, with Dorcas, now the Bible uses language like the people are impressed with the Lord. It's like dying and coming back to life multiplied her influence and laser-focused that influence so that others didn't just say, who can do the works that Dorcas does, but say, who can do the works God does through Dorcas? That's what dying and becoming alive does. That's what Jesus talks about when he says, right, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. This is Jesus talking about finding your true self, your real self, the, the you that God made you to be, and not the pretend self. We need to be for our pretend selves to die every day. The pretend self in you that wants to please everyone else and make everyone else happy, and so your agenda for the day is what everyone else wants your agenda to be, and that becomes different than you waking up in the morning and saying, God, help me to do everything you want me to do today, no more and no less. That pretend self needs to die. Or the pretend self that is trying so hard to be the person that you think someone else wants to be, to be the person that you think you have to be, to be the man that you feel isn't good enough for your dad because he never affirmed you as a young boy. To be the, the, the you that your sister, your older sister has become who got better grades and was a better star athlete and you feel that you just don't measure up. To go to work every day and see promotions that everyone else is getting and you're not. And to let that define you when you look in the mirror and you think of yourself as a failure. That's a, that's a false self. That's, that's not the you that God made. That self, that false self, needs to die. Or the false self that says, if, if I don't succeed, 
succeed in a, in a level of achievement that I have set for myself, not that goals are bad, we should all have goals, but they're my goals. They're not, they don't drop from heaven. I'm the one that says I want, to, I want to run a marathon this year. And I train, but I don't train. And I, and I work, but then I get lazy. And I, and I eat granola and alfalfa sprouts, and then I eat donuts and pizza. And I don't run the marathon that year. It does not make me a failure. That means I simply did not meet that personal goal that I set for myself. And so when, right, when success and achievement and meeting goals, when goals become the master of your life instead of the servant, you are living for a, a false self. And when we don't succeed or achieve in some way, that false self will either kill us or we need to kill it. And we rise from the dead and we replace that false self with our true self. Here's your true self. 1 John 4, verse 4. You, dear children, are from God. Six words. Took me less than a minute, less than a page. I'm gonna, maybe I'll be the six-second novelist. There it is. There's everything you need to know about your story right there. You, dear children, are from God. You can even tweet that. Tell yourself this when you look in the mirror. Tell yourself this when you don't reach your goals. Tell yourself this when the, when the company sales quota is hanging over your head. Because this, never, this is never false. This is never not true. You are always from God. He's always the source. He designed you and he develops you. He, you're his project. He works on you. He never lets you go. You, dear children, are from God. Nothing can change that. For you individually, for us as a group, as a church. You, dear children, are from God. Uh, here's a, I'm going to read you another, this is not a 60-second novel, but it's probably close. It's a note. It's a note that a mom found in the jeans pocket of her daughter who came back from her first year of college. And it was tattered up. The jeans hadn't gone through the wash yet. But it was in the jeans pocket, and it was, it was rough around the edges, kind of torn a little bit at the folds. It had been opened and closed and opened and closed and pulled out of that pocket hundreds of times. And the mom recognized it because it was a note that she had written to her daughter early in that freshman year of college when her daughter was away at school. And it was obviously treasured. Here's what it said. I'm so glad that you are you and nobody else. Only God knows your full potential, and he is guiding you toward the best version of yourself all the time. He has many tools, and he is never in a hurry. He never gets discouraged for how long it takes. And he delights every inch that you grow. Only God can see the best version of you, and he is more concerned with you reaching your full potential than you are, and that's okay. You are not your handiwork. Your life is not your project. Your life is God's project. God thought you up, 
and he knows what you were intended to be. Love, Mom. Would you appreciate a note like that? I would. God's given you that note, and his words of promise to you that are just as good as that note. Here's another one, uh, 1 John 4, verse 7. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. We're approaching Mother's Day. Uh, thoughts of love from our own mothers to us and from those who are mothers here to their own children. Uh, it brings to mind, I think it's a, just a reflection of the love of God. And uh, what I like about it is this, this unique aspect of love. When mothers are God's version of mothers and not false self, mothers love their kids without needing kids to fulfill any of the mother's needs. I think that's also true of being a dad, so I'm just going to talk about parenting in general here, right? I'm finding that I have a granddaughter now, and I, find, I, I watch her uh, Snapchat videos, and I look at pictures of her that, that my son and daughter-in-law text to me, and, I, and it's so tempting every time I look at a picture of her to try to find in her face, who do I, try, who do I want her to look like? Yeah, ultimately my wife, but I... It's my second thought. My first is, oh, I think she has my eyebrows. Ooh, she, yeah, that's my chin. Oh, good. She even had bubbles on her chin the other week, and so we said she had a nice little goatee, um, though she didn't keep it. Uh, I'm so me-oriented, right? And so I'm going to love my granddaughter because she fulfills my need to have my beauty reflected into another person. That's, that's the love of a false self. That's pretty narcissistic. Okay, that's not God's version of me. Uh, parenting can be the same way. I want my two sons to be how I want them to be. That's a temptation. I face it. Not, not to be God's version of them, but to be dad's version of them. And then when they don't meet dad's version of them, I find myself disappointed in them. And, and they're, they're bad little, they need to change. And when I back up a step and look at that, I think, how selfish of me to say that they should be like me. Again, that's loving them because they can meet some need that I have. That's not God's version of me or of love. How did God love you? Did God have some unmet need in eternity that in order to be filled, he had to create you, he had, he had to save you or me? There's no way in eternity that you and I could ever meet any need that God has. He, God he doesn't love you because he needs you. He loves you because you need his love. And that is the perfect expression of love. You can't get love like that from any human being. God's love for you is for you.
That's why 1 John 4 says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son that we might live through him. That we might live from God's love. God's love finds its fulfillment outside of himself, and he sent Jesus to help you be who he wants you to be instead of a fake version. It's true in families. It's true in friends. And so you can love others the same way. I can love my sons better without needing anything from them. I can love my friends better. I can love my church better without making demands, but only praying to God, God, help me help them be your version of them. And that's a prayer for yourself and for others, knowing that God has a version of each of you and of me that is so much bigger and better than my version of me. And so when I'm in God's word, when I'm, when I'm dying and rising each day in my baptism and in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, when I make things spiritual, then my true identity emerges and bubbles to the surface. And I'm living the, the version of me that God has made for me, and he relentlessly works that I become version of me that he in his creating and his forgiving grace has in eternity declared. I am a disciple named Darren. How about you? You fill in your name when I say I am a disciple named. Here we go. Say it loud. Say it like you mean it. I am a disciple named, amen to that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your love which has no condition, which doesn't require anything of us, but gives of yourself to us in total love and sacrifice. We're so moved by your, by your love, by, by the freedom that it gives to us that, that we trust you when we follow you, when we listen to you, and you say, come. There's something better for you out there. There's, there's someone I want you to meet, and it's us. As we approach you in prayer and, and in our spirits, take to heart your word every day and every week. Lord Jesus, Master, Help us to follow you more closely, to understand more intimately your will for us and, and who you do plan for us to be. And then help us reflect that so that we can help others be who you want them to be as well. Bless us as a church. Bless our families and parents and siblings. May we all be the versions of us that you have made us to be and help others be the same. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.